The best thing about going 1-0 is the chance to talk about it on the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, along with Johnny Genner. The Buckeyes walk away from their season opener, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the horseshoe itself by beating a top-five opponent in primetime on television under the lights. Notre Dame had no answer for the Buckeye defense. Wow. <laughs> Who had that on their dance cards? Johnny, this for me was a very fun game to watch for a variety of reasons. Yeah. The offense sputtered early, but looked pretty great in the second half because Ryan day engaged the running game that he seemed a little more hesitant to lean on in the first half, the defense barring a couple of, you know, odd plays on that first drive, a little circus catch action and a broken tackle were absolutely fantastic in the second half locked down, uh, a, a decent Notre Dame squad that's scored points in, in bunches previously. What did you take away from this big season opening hype fest? I, well, I mean, I don't know that I'm ready to declare like the defense fixed or anything like that. I, Notre Dame was really operating kind of with a depleted running back core wide receiver groups, not very good. They, they basically have one guy that they can rely on to throw the ball to. And he's very, very good. But with that said, you know, everybody was looking at the defense and trying to see what would happen, you know, how they would come out. And as a unit, I thought they played really well, like as a defense as a whole. But really what I think made me the most excited was some of the individual performances that for me, I'm like, you know, I want to see how cohesive all of this is, the scheme and, and whatnot. But I really want to see some of these guys take the next step. And specifically on the D line, man, I was really happy. Not just my call. I mean, my call, people, you know, people are coming out like, wow, where does this guy come from? He's amazing. And that's great. Like, I'm not taking anything away from his performance, which was fantastic. But them being able to work together and, you know, JTD coming out and, and just, you know, putting pressures on, you know, the, the quarterback all the time. And then, you know, Jack Sawyer and all these other guys, like the defensive line looked weaponized they looked like they were there to make an impact and i know you know some people when we talked about jim Knowles defense you know the defensive line isn't going to create the the chase youngs and the the boses of the world um but they still looked really 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 uh aggressive and effective and so then when you combine that with a guy like tommy eichenberg who had an incredible game looks like he is legit. <laughs> like he is hell bent. He listened to the dubcast and said, Oh, damn you, Johnny Ginter. Hey, I'll, I'll prove you wrong. Yes. And dude had two sacks, three tackles for loss. I, really just an, top to bottom, a really good performance from the defense. Albeit again against an offense that, you know, was not, you know, I think at where they would like to be. They're not bringing their A game necessarily, but solid, really solid, good assignment football great individual performances it's a really really heartening sign now granted they're going to have a few games now before they face an offense that will give them fits but um i don't know man i thought they did a really good job and 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 so when i'm looking at the the game as a whole yeah the offense you know you want to see them clicking immediately and, and not have to sustain injuries and all that kind of stuff but defensively that's exactly i think what you wanted to see out of these guys yeah i, I think the story to me was that the defense came out and it, you know i i know ohio state fans are are i don't know where glass is half empty by nature blame it on the the cooper era i i don't know they're sort of like waiting for the other shoe to drop and, and want to say, well, Notre Dame wasn't that good because X, Y, and Z, to which sure. I say, hey, guys, still a top five 
team to start the season. First game out, no tune-up games. You know, two, um, you know, looking in, and saying, well, and you kind of the, the, the various caveats and things that you can throw out there about why you're not ready to say the defense is fixed. I get that. It's one game. It's a yeah. very small sample size. Very, very small sample size. But I would say this. I felt like the DNA of that defense, totally different from mm-hmm. the, the uh, what I thought was a pretty awful defense last well season. last season they look completely confused at times right i mean that nobody knew where they were supposed to go the assignments were getting blown i didn't see any of that well and for a scheme that's supposedly more complicated right and just about anything else uh how many missed assignments did you see how many yeah, how many none. busted pl- i mean how many times were you like oh my god that guy was so far out of out of position you just you didn't see it it was good solid assignment football uh we'll at some point in the next couple of weeks have kyle jones wanted to talk with him and get his diagnosis from an a- actual scheme perspective. But I-, I said the same thing you did, you know, Mike Hall looked like a machine, just a wrecking mm-hmm. ball up there in the middle. Uh, but Tommy Heikenberg, yeah, nine, nine tackles, three TFLs, not two sacks. Like this was a stat line. You just, you just say, Hey, great. Now I did see some people in the comments saying, Oh my gosh, best linebacker since AJ Hawk to which I say, okay, let's <laughs> nah, maybe slow your roll a little bit. <laughs> let's, let, let's give it a few weeks before we start handing out, you know, hall of fame tickets. Like it's, it, it's early in the season. I do appreciate the exuberance. Uh-huh. I was super impressed with that guy. Super, super impressed. Uh, here's the other thing I would look at, you know, Ohio state defense. I thought in that first drive, you're like, Oh my God, here we go again, because right. you had a couple big passing plays, you know, that big tight end looked all like all of a sudden he's just going to be able to, run over guys in the middle of the field and you thought what's that going to be like mm-hmm. Notre Dame's quarterback Tyler Buckner completes eight of his first eight and then yeah and then goes two for ten for the two rest for of the ten game. uh you know the fact that they only had 12 first downs all night yep punted the ball on eight out of ten drives four of those were three and outs three yeah. for 13 on third down I mean you, you hold a brand name team to 10 points and you shut them out in the second half that's good defensive ball game. That's that's very good defense. And so, you know, I I, I think it's, you know, <laughs> I agree that I'm definitely one of those people who's a, a glass glass half empty empty kind of guy. Um, but it is hard not to get at least a little excited about what you saw. And overall, I mean, you know, Michael Mayer, the dude is a first round draft pick, and it's so hard to to. I don't know, to clamp down on these tight ends, right? The Especially these NFL caliber tight ends. We've seen in the past where a team can just make Ohio State pay with one of those dudes. It doesn't matter what else you have on the team. They can just, you know, be first down machines. And that just did not happen. I mean, they, they basically erased him in the second half. I mean, he had, I think he had one uh, kind of impressive first down catch, I think maybe in the third quarter. Um, but beyond that, he just really had almost zero impact on the game. And that's that's impressive. I think that's really impressive. They will take that because their their whole plan was and Marcus Freeman talked about this was to slow the game down, minimize possessions. And to a certain extent, they did that. But on the flip side, that requires their offense to sustain drives and they just couldn't do it. They, they had no ability to, you know, remain on the field to stay on the field. Um, and then, as you said, you know, once Ohio State, once <laughs> Ryan Day kind of realized, like, all right, we just got to start handing the ball off. Uh, you know, Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson kind of just, they didn't have a field day, but they had a very productive day. And that's, that's really what you wanted to see. I'll, you know, that huge drive, right. That, that scoring drive where they go like what, like 94 yards. yards. Yeah. Yeah. 94, 95 yards. And 
a lot of people are like, well, that's the Mayan Williams, right? That's chop, you know, just hanging out. And, and to be fair, yes, he had the amazing catch. And then in the back half of that drive, it was just all him. But I think people need to rewatch that a couple of times because Trayvon Henderson's the dude who got them out of their own mm-hmm. uh, red zone uh, with some really, really tough yards. So it was a combination of those dudes. And it's interesting too, that like, I think some people are expecting Henderson to just be this featured back and run for 1500 yards. And yeah, he had the most yards and he had the most carries, but not by much. And I, I kind of, honestly, the way chop is running, that's gotta be the way it is for the time being. I mean, I would love to see this feature back run for, you know, 2000 yards and have a JK Dobbins kind of season. Uh, but if both of these guys can be effective in very different ways, then the hell with it. I'm cool with it. If they both get a hundred yards a game, that's cool for me. Cause that means that the running game's being really effective. Well, and the thing um, that was really interesting to, to me was when I was writing up the debriefing and looking at the actual stat lines, I would have assumed Williams had the better night statistically, right? just and may call it recency bias i guess because that drive felt like the chop drive and that toe tap catch on the sideline was just gorgeous and that so was on. i mean that was oh. i think that had to have been the play of the game yeah that, you that don't was ex- unbelievable you don't expect a wrecking ball like him to be able to to, to do that. that's what you expect your wide receivers to do right you yeah. know high states wide receivers do that but my god <laughs> it just was a thing of beauty so then when i look at the stats line, i'm like oh my gosh actually henderson had the better game statistically of course chop had the the um uh touchdown that Henderson right have, but uh, you know he had more yards uh yards per ca- yards per carry number was fantastic you know so yes you're absolutely right uh there's no reason not to use both those guys because it was darn effective the the other thing i thought was really interesting and we'll come to the offense more in a minute because you talked about adjustments I would give not not only Jim Knowles, but Perry Eliano and, and Tim Walton and, and of course the living legend Larry Johnson credit because I felt like the adjustments that were made that they didn't make the same mistakes twice, you know. Mm-hmm. So you talk about that first drive for Notre Dame where they were able to just, you know, crazy yards and, and that one bleeder. You basically had two Notre Dame drives that were worth a nickel. And the defense adjusted as need be. You erase that big tight end that you talked about and, and they just they they got it done. And I love those adjustments. Ryan Day's also going to get credit for making adjustments on the offensive side of the ball. And it and and I've been thinking about this a lot because it felt like I think in a lot of us who are tweeting through our feelings during the game in real time, which <laughs> I try not to do very much anymore because I know my in the moment feelings are probably not going to be the correct answer to whatever the particular question is. Sure. But a lot of people are like, Oh my God, why isn't day running the ball? He just wants, he wants to air raid. He's such a pass happy guy. And you know, he's a pass first guy. That's right. That's no secret. And yet I think what's interesting to me is that, day is is maybe as good as it gets at making adjustments in the second half he's not going to blow up his game plan in the first half he's he's going to try to stick to the script and do what it is that he came there to do and then i mean look at how different that second half was for the offense from that well, first the, half the ability to sustain drive i mean that really is that was the kind of game it was the team that could stay on the field with their offense the longest was probably going to win that game, right? The, the ability to, to keep your defense fresh, to make the other team kind of sit on their heels a little bit, to play even play the position game a little bit. Although I got to say Notre Dame's uh, punter was a freaking hero. I mean, that guy was unbelievable. Absent that first punt, um, he was sick. But, you know, to sustain drives of 10 plays, 70 yards, 14 plays, 95 yards, like that's that's big boy football. And, you know, 
yes, it's great if you can get, you know, two plays of 75 yards and score a touchdown. But if you can stay on the field in a, a game that's been shortened like that uh, and then end up with a touchdown at the end of it, that's that's pretty clutch. That's legit. So I agree with you. I, it was it was really interesting to see how they kind of adjusted and, and figured out what was working in the second half and then just went with it. And it, you know, it wasn't rocket science. It was just this is what they're giving us. This is what we'll take. And you even saw it in the passing game where it was like, you know, they kept dropping two safeties back the entire game, right? Because they're like, all right, well, now we've got, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba's out and, and Fleming's out. They're going to keep throwing the ball. We're going to just put all of our chips in and making sure they can't do that. And then the second they bring those guys up on a safety blitz, that's when Stroud hits them for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of those things. You just got to be observant. You got to be well-prepared. And then you've got to be willing to make changes when you have to. And I think Ohio State, even though they didn't score the 45 points that I had predicted they would, um, I think their offense is still structurally really sound. They just have to make sure they get everybody else back and, and hopefully can you know click a little bit earlier in the game than they did. You know, you were talking about you know, the, the passing game. That was one of the things I thought was interesting too, because it, it you know, it did feel like early gosh, is Stroud, is he, is he, you know, feeling his oats or, or not? And, you know, you know, some of those early throws maybe didn't look that great, but I still look back and say, gosh, guy completed 71% of his passes for 223 and two touchdowns. Yeah. That you know what though? That ain't it, terrible. It isn't. And I, I think another thing is just, it's just chemistry between the wide receivers and the quarterback. I, I really think that's a huge part of it. I mean, you're losing two guys, not just the fact that they're just ultra talented guys, but they were veterans who had been on the field for a long time, knew exactly, you know, how to do it and when to do it. And there was, I don't, I think it was Marvin Harrison. I can't remember who uh, Stroud was throwing to, but they pointed out on the broadcast that, you know, they basically missed the touchdown because the receiver didn't pause in the open window mm -hmm. and he continued with his route. Now, if he had stopped, you know, Stroud hits him, and then that's six. Uh, but he just didn't have the, you know, the, the situational awareness, I guess, to, to do that. And that's something that Alave and Wilson, you know, kind of had and, and knew exactly what to do. And that'll take time with the younger guys, especially a guy like Marvin Harrison. He was really, really, really athletic and talented, um, but is just going to have to make sure that he finds the right spots and, and where to be. Um, so I don't, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's a lot of it is just timing and getting reps and getting these guys on the same page and once that happens i mean the sky's the limit and he's still through for you know stroud still through for 223 yards it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination that's a good good night's work yeah i mean that's a that's a night that's not going to win you a heisman but it's not going to disqualify you from it either necessarily yeah. you know he's it and so one of the things care the ball was, didn't make stupid throws i mean you know yeah you're going exactly where i was thinking was that look here was a situation where uh everybody took care of the ball you know right clean clean game uh yeah a few penalties but nothing like super egregious that made me just go nuts uh penalty wise you know they played a really clean game one of the things i thought about as i was watching this game and, and it was probably because jim trestles you know they're being feted along with the uh, 2002 national championship team that you have a trestle protege and marcus freeman and freeman admitted that his game plan was a bit like trestle ball right that mm -hmm. he, you described it well earlier trying to slow the game down limit possessions and so on but you know the way ohio state won this game was 
was was a bit Tresselian, uh, if I can say so. Solid backbreaking defense, field position. Ohio State won the field position game, even as good as Notre Dame's punter was. Uh, Ohio State had better field position all night long and took advantage mm-hmm. of it. Uh, and and then it was a strong rushing attack that ultimately got the offense back on track and put them in a position to win that game. I maybe I was just reading into it what I wanted, but I I thought. Uh, you know, with the exception of a, a missed field goal, uh, which, you know, maybe that makes you nervous if Noah Ruggles first and uh, only attempt of the of the evening, first only first attempt of the season, only attempt of the night um, was a miss. And it wasn't one that you would have expected him to miss. So maybe that gives you a little pause, calls for pause there. But by and large, though, the things that they did well, I think sets this team up to do really well against anybody else they're going to face in in the Big Ten, certainly until Michigan. Um, but I'm, yeah. I'm having a hard time seeing anybody who's going to come in there and give them a harder time between now and the playoff than Notre Dame did. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that that's, you know what, that's the value of having a team like this to start off the, the season. And granted, that's only applicable if you win the game, but it definitely, I think, gets you in the right mindset. It allows you to focus on certain things that you want to improve uh, on your team and in your game plan and all that kind of stuff. Because if you're playing cupcakes to start off the season, you don't really know who your team is. Uh, but if you're playing a, a really talented team that, you know, be it one that I don't think really deserved the the fifth spot in the uh, in the country. But yeah, sure. No, but, I think that's fair. Yeah, but. A still a very talented team, right? A solid defense, maybe not an amazing defense, but a solid defense, a good defensive line. Like these are things that's going to help you prepare for the rest of the season. And I think in September, getting that early September, that's really valuable to help direct um, what you're going to plan on for these next coming games. Because Arkansas State is not going to give you the same kind of challenge as Notre Dame, right? That's that's not something that you're going to have to, to really think about as hard, I think or game plan for as much. There are certain things that you're going to want to improve, but now you actually have a template for how to do that. So um, going into big 10 season, and then obviously, you know, revving up for, for Michigan, because that's, you know, that really is the end all be all this season, no matter what happens before that. Um, You know, I, I, I really like this. I love the fact that they're playing, you know, difficult out of conference games to start the season. I think that's pretty kick ass. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things I loved, and and you know maybe uh, Jim Knowles is going to be the 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 guy I move right up there next to Larry Johnson in in terms of uh, people I love to ooh and awe about on on this coaching staff. One of the things I loved is in his post game presser, Jim Knowles said, "I expected this. You know, we're this is exactly what we want." When he talked about confidence and in leadership, this is a team that you know, I think if they've got a defense that can operate the way this defense did, the offense is going to have all the room in the world to do what we know, or pretty sure we know it's capable of. We're going to talk more about Jackson Smith and Jigba here in in a moment, but I, I love that this team looked like it was really well prepared Mm -hmm. and, and they looked tough. You know, you heard a lot of people talking about the toughness thing because they got called out at the end of last season for not being tough enough to win. Uh, right. when it mattered most not being a a tough team that could impose its will against a hated rival i don't get the sense that you're necessarily going to have that same problem at least on the defensive side of the ball uh i know people still want to nitpick a bit about justin fields uh justin fields cj stroud justin fields was in the stadium by the way <laughs> yeah 
know if you knew that or not. Along with yes, uh, LeBron, LeBron, along James. with everybody else on the planet, apparently. lots of lots of celebrity sightings. Uh, but CJ Stroud, you know, I know people want to want to dig at him because he's not going to just tuck it and run it like he was Braxton right. Miller two. And there were a couple times like when that. I think he could have during the game. Sure. But- it's just it's not his it's not his first thought it's not where he's going to he's always looking to make that play and that's what allows him to make throws like you saw to you know to Maya Williams and and I forget who else was actually there might have been a Marvin Harrison catch it was the same deal he's rolling out out of a you know out of a scramble and just nails a dude on the sideline you know for 15 yards or whatever that's that's who he is and he's not he's always looking downfield he's not necessarily looking you know five yards in front of him so. Only the second time in Ryan Day's tenure that the Buckeyes have scored less than 400 total yards or have accumulated less than 400 total yards, which I thought was uh, was interesting. Um, so it was fairly you know pedestrian by his high standards. Um, but but all in all, you know, I think the offense is 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 going to be fine. I was reading Bill Connolly at ESPN is the, the the man with the plan behind SP plus, which Longtime listeners of the program know I absolutely love uh, Connolly's work in SP Plus itself. Uh, but he talked about how well Ohio State moved the ball and and flipped the field, singled out Emeka Ibuka, um, and how efficient he was replacing Jackson Smith and Jigba. But when you when you looked at the notes and I I this this graphic, if you don't follow Bill's stuff, maybe it won't mean a whole lot to you. But he but he talked specifically about. Um, how Ohio state was very efficient. Uh, even when they weren't scoring, they were moving the ball and controlling field position to me, to me, that, that coupled with a defense that is able to shut down a rushing attack, able to shut down, uh, big plays because Ohio state really only gave up those two big plays. The rest Mm -hmm. of the, the rest of the time, Notre Dame couldn't really get anything going. Uh, they had no rushing game, which we, we kind of knew their running back core was fairly depleted, but there was also a lot of talk about how their quarterback would haul off and run the ball and make you pay. And he just didn't do that. Right. Uh, the, the rushing um, defense was really solid for Ohio State in that regard. Um, I, I'm just I'm eager to see how the rest of this kind of comes together. The next two weeks are just going to be great tune-up games for the Buckeyes before they get into the schedule. But I'm, 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 I guess, cautiously optimistic that this is the team, particularly because and this is a new, new uh, segment that I included in the debriefing. The, the question we've asked all summer long is uh, that the defense doesn't need to be a top five defense. I've said it once and I'll say it again. They only need to suck 30% less than they did last season. Well, guess what? I did the math. <laughs> and they sucked 30% less than last year. Yeah. Last year, last year the season average was 372.9 yards allowed and 22.8 points per game. Notre Dame managed just 253 net yards of total offense, which is better than 30% less than the average allowed last season. And allowing just 10 points is also better than 30% less than last year's average points allowed. So, so I was right. As long as they suck at least 30% less than they did last season, this is a championship caliber defense. I mean, I think we can safely say that if they only give up 10 points per game, they will probably win most of those games. That would be my guess. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if they only give up 10 points per game, they will win all their games. How about that? Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty, you could, you could put down a marker on that one. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could place that bet if Vegas offered it. Yeah. Jackson Smith and Jigba, maybe the biggest question mark of the game, suffering a, a low grade hamstring injury. The good news is, though, it sounded like in hearing Ryan Day's comments Monday in his press conference, 
that uh, he is, or, or rather uh, one, one of his media appearances, one of the during press conference, but during one of his media appearances, that he is hopeful for JSN's return for next week against Arkansas State. Now, yeah, don't I, it's, keep him keep him on the bench. That's yeah, dumb. I'm of the mind he does not need to play at all the next no. two weeks. That 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 is sort of pointless. Yeah, that's dumb. But don't I mean if he wants to play after that, I think whatever, get him reps or whatever. But we we know who he is. We know how talented he is. Let's make sure that he can get healed as possible. And here's the other thing that gives the opportunity for a lot of these younger guys to get reps. And I'm also very cool with that. And if you need Jackson Smith and Jigba to beat the next two teams on your schedule, or really you could argue maybe next three or four, uh, I think you've got bigger problems. So I would definitely I would just rest the dude and and not not trot him out to potentially re-aggravate a hamstring injury because it you know with stuff like that he was on the bike you know he was walking around he was trying to do sprints I think you know I think that it's not going to be serious but hamstrings can kind of linger a little bit and I would much rather him be healthy for the likes of Wisconsin and Michigan State than I would be for him to be available against Arkansas State or Toledo, if that makes sense. 100% so. on board with that. All right. We're, we've got a new segment of the program. I'm going to introduce a little birdie told me. So if you follow <laughs> the 11 Dubcast on Twitter, and you should, you can follow us at 11 Dubcast on the Twitter. If you're not following us now, go do so this instant. Drop whatever you're doing other than listening to the podcast and follow us at 11 Dubcast on Twitter. After the game, we asked for your feedback, your first impressions of the 2022 Ohio State football team, uh, and some of the feedback we're gonna we're gonna discuss here on the program in this new segment. All right, uh, my my dear friend uh, Buckeye Chief, one of the mod squads, asked the question: Can we agree Notre Dame was better than advertised? Uh, and he offered the uh, observation that that Marcus Freeman is building something. What do you say, Johnny? Is was Notre Dame better than advertised? On defense, I think they were. I mean, offensively, their deficiencies were pretty clear. I mean, they they don't have anybody to throw the ball to besides their tight end. Um, and they're running back, you know, by committee or well, not by committee at this point. It's really like they got one guy. Uh, they they're having trouble just figuring out offensively, I think, who they are as an identity. But defensively, I think they'll be really good. And uh, you know. Ohio State's offense is still nothing to sneeze at. And so I think they'll, you know, be in every game that they play from here on out, mostly on the on the defense. So I don't think they were great, but I definitely think that they're talented. Uh, they just need to figure out the offense. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And and the question is, is Freeman building something? I, I think he can. I absolutely think he can. Uh, I like, I, you know, I liked his approach to the game. Um, I thought particularly given how limited they were at running back that he, he tried to do the best he could with the pieces and parts he had. Uh, I also think he'll recruit well there because he's, he's a guy that players are going to go to play for. I, I totally think so. Good question. Good question, chief. All right. Uh, Nick, uh, Buckeye WX asks there, this is not so much an ask, but it's more Mayan Williams. Yeah. I, I think that's the right, I think that's the right move, right? More Mayan Williams. We talked about this mm -hmm. earlier. At the same time, though, I, I think taking Henderson and putting him on ice is is not the play. Can you make, Johnny, a platoon running back situation work? I don't usually like it. I, I think for running backs, they need to have, um, you know, some like 
inertia to what they're doing and, and not just like literally but i think they momentum, need to have a momentum was probably the word you were groping yeah momentum's not, not, yeah inertia is kind need, of the opposite of that <laughs> right that's right they need to they need to be able to have um i think a certain amount of reps certain amount of carries per mm-hmm. game to really kind of stay in a rhythm and the way it worked out against notre dame you know, with the guys getting, you know, what I think like 15 and, and 14 carries respectively, that that's okay. I think that works. I think that's about right. That's fine. Um, the problem is, is that if you're in a game where the passing game is, is really effective and you're throwing it maybe an extra 10 times or 15 times a game, and then that means one guy's getting the same amount of carries and the other guy's only getting like three I don't think that's really beneficial to both guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I think the danger comes. If you have a really balanced offense where you know you're going to get a certain amount of carries per game and things like that, uh, then, then yeah, I think a platoon system can work. I, here's what I would say. I think Chop is going to be effective, not necessarily because he will, you know, run around dudes or finesse something or you know, make something out of nothing. I mean, the guy is just a violent evil runner you know what i mean like when you watch him run he seeks out contact (laughs) and there are a couple runs where you're just kind of laughing in the middle of it because he had no intention of trying to sidestep or you know fake out a dude he was like no i'm just gonna run at this guy's chin and it's hilarious and a guy like that probably doesn't need as many consistent reps as maybe a guy like travion henderson does uh, because Mayan Williams knows he's getting hit on every single carry, right? He, I think he goes into the game and, and you know, takes a handoff with the expectation that he's going to get hit three or four times as he's running the ball. Um, Trayvon Henderson isn't necessarily that dude. I think he, he wants to rely on his speed and, and skills to kind of get out of situations and pick up as many yards. Both approaches are fine. I just think for a guy that's a little more skill-based like Henderson, you need to get him more reps. You need to get him more time in the game to really get with the flow, figure out the blocking scheme, all that kind of stuff. My owners doesn't care about that. Chop doesn't care. <laughs> and, and that's to both of their benefit and, and detriment sometimes. Um, but, a, but I guess long story short, platoon systems difficult to manage and you really have to pay attention to the personalities and the skills of your running backs. If you're going to try to do that. Yep. hundred percent agree. Great question, Nick. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to save this next one for my friend Rachel for ask us anything because it's a it's a really good one. Um, but uh, at Brushak 52 asks the question, can Mayan Williams be and this is playoff of the last question, but I think it's worth asking. Can Mayan yeah. Williams be everything we hoped Master Teague could be? Do you think I mean, do you think Master Teague was like. I don't know. Did we ever hype him up? Did we ever? Believe? I don't think I ever had. I mean, I liked Master T quite a lot, and I liked that kind of as a change up, you know, bust you in the mouth kind of back. Yeah. I, I liked him a lot. He had no wiggle to him whatsoever. Uh, there, my no, says Chops got a little bit of wiggle. Yeah, right? Chops can Chops can move. Um, I I think, yeah, I think <laughs> maybe in the maybe in that sense, but but I guess my problem with the premise of the question is that I don't know that I had any special hopes for master Teague beyond what master Teague was, which yeah, we all knew who he was from the very beginning. That's the fun thing about chop is that he surprised the hell out of us. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people expected this guy to be a third stringer, really, you know, like a third string option who comes in, spells some guys. And then every time he got in, he just got better. And you're like, wait a minute, this guy, I mean, this guy is, is the devil on the field. I mean, he, you know, not to, not to say that he's like the literal devil. He's not, you know, he's, he's not Satan, but he's just, <laughs> mean. he's just a mean, 
evil runner. And and you got to have that mentality. I mean, people are like, he's got that dog in him. Yeah, he does. He really does. He really does. Yeah. And you see that the more he's on the field. And so that's what I'm saying. He's, they, they talk about these change of pace backs or they say, you know, you've got, I don't know. I'm trying to think of all the various evidence that they have for, for these backup running backs and, and, you know, well, he's valuable in a pinch. I don't think that that's him. I, I think he can dictate the pace of the game because of how he performs. And you saw that on that drive where it was like, okay, well, we got Henderson. We can, we can deal with this. We're going to try to keep him in front of him, limited damage. And here comes Mayan Williams who has no intention of like trying to, you know, scoot around dudes. He's just going to punch you in the face. And that's a that's that's a whole different thing for a defense to have to adjust to. Um, so I don't think it's right to say that he's like a master Teague or a change of pace back or anything like that. I think he's capable of being a featured back depending on how he's being used in the game. And, and I think that against Notre Dame, he was being used as a feature back and did a great job. 100% agree uh, with all of that. I think I think you you got it spot on the money. Great question, James. All right, last one here for this segment of the program. Uh, Casey Tuttle asks, at what point during the game did Jim Knowles also start coaching the offense? Well played, Casey. Well played. <laughs> uh, I said this earlier, and I think it bears repeating. To me, Ryan Day is a guy who makes great adjustments at halftime. I think that's one of the things he really does well. It seems you know, while you're watching the game in real time, you're like, God, he's so stubborn. Why won't he just run the damn ball? But look, I remember screaming at the television during the urban Meyer administration to just give hide the damn ball instead of constantly right. just trying to run the quarterback down their throats. So that, that, that was stubbornness for the sake of being stubborn and not being willing to make a change. I, I think day's thing is he's going to try the game plan for a half a football and hey, you know what? They were down by a field goal. The game was nowhere near out of t- now to hand. So he made the made the adjustments that need to be made at halftime. Credit to him for doing that and got the job done. Is that is that a fair read? Yeah, and it's yeah. That's that. The thing is, like, it's hard in the moment sometimes to have perspective. <laughs> you know what I mean? God, yes. And so I I get it, getting swept in it, and then you know the expectations that were involved. I'm yeah. I I I get it. Great segment of the show. Well done, Twitter friends. Again, this uh, segment, a little birdie told me, brought to you by <laughs> the Twitter uh, feed of 11 Dubcast. Follow us at 11 Dubcast. If you're not already there, be there or be square. Moving on to our second favorite uh, or our more favorite than this new segment, segment of the program, Ask Us Anything. The Ask Us Anything and the podcast in its entirety is brought to you by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com drygoods.11warriors.com. I have to tell you, Johnny, it did my heart good. I saw dry goods apparel all over game day. Uh, the Catholics versus draft pick shirt was everywhere on campus. Huge hit, huge hit. Saw several people, including some former players wearing some of our greatest plays shirt. Like you and I both love, I think the 85 yards through the heart of the South, the classic. I also saw a, a King Wright, uh, Y 96 swap, I probably just butchered that play call, but you know the one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Also known in other environments as Holy Buckeye. We can get all of those shirts and more at drygoods.11warriors.com. To the mailbag, my friend, what have we? All right. Well, you can send us questions by uh, sending them to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And you can ask us literally anything because we love answering. By the way, that 
I just want to say something real quick about the uh, the Catholics versus draft picks. I'll be like, well, Notre Dame's got the most draft picks of all time. You know what? Who cares? No one cares. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter because I wasn't alive and nobody, your parents weren't alive and your grandparents weren't alive the last time that was actually relevant. So I, no one cares. All right. I hate that. We're people like, well, actually in the 1930s, like nobody cares. Nobody cares. All right. If that's your argument, you're dumb and wrong and nobody likes you. So that's, how about that? <laughs> well said, my friend. Person. Well said. Um, God, it's just, it's just so, so dumb. Okay. Anyway, this is, uh, this actually isn't a question. This is just a statement from Daniel to you. Uh, Andy, uh, I just picked up playing the bagpipes at age 44. So oh go my God, for it. That's amazing. Yeah. Find the bagpipe guy on the oval. <laughs> the bagpipe guy on the oval. I love is, that. Daniel, are you the bagpipe guy? You know what I'm talking about, right? I didn't know there was a bagpipe guy on the oval. There was a bagpipe back for, for many years. I don't know, many years, a few years. There was either a student or some dude who was on the oval who was like playing the bagpipes at like noon or something for an hour or some kind of thing. That's but, perfect. I love that. Yeah. And I think he had like a YouTube channel. Daniel, if you're a bagpipe guy, I'd, I'd want your autograph. You need to come to my house and, and meet my family because you're great. I mean, um, there's, there's totally somebody in our neighborhood. I don't know who it is, but there's somebody in our neighborhood that like random weekday evenings will be practicing the pipes i guess because you'll just be like outside mowing the yard or something and you'll just hear bagpipes like i love it going it's yeah it's it's really to share that gift with the world i i love it. i don't know how i would feel about it like if i live next door <laughs> to that person but as somebody who lives a block or two away apparently i love it because you'll just be like oh that's nice and i i don't know how you describe the sound a bagpipe makes but soothing is probably not the word that you would use but to me it's it's soothing i don't know there's just something about that that i really enjoy so thanks daniel i'll i'll keep that in mind i i have to admit the nine-year-old is learning to play the violin for uh, well, there you go that's a good accompaniment right? too well and and so like when we were kids uh and my my parents did not play musical instruments we were not a super musical family we love music but we we're mm -hmm. not like it now i i was the one member of our little household that played any instrument you know just took piano lessons the whole nine yards i think we talked about but yeah dad always said you need to learn to play the fiddle you need to learn to play the fiddle like charlie daniels you know okay and uh obviously i never did that but as the little tyke and i were getting herself organized for orchestra and getting her violin and all that sort of thing i said you know <laughs> pop pop always wanted me to learn to play the fiddle maybe now's the time to learn with my bagpipes are the next best thing yeah bagpipes do it that, that bagpipes definitely probably more my speed than the fiddle that's for sure good question or yeah, not question uh, but thanks <laughs> this next one's from gary who uh put no subject in the header and the new content in the email so if you'd like to try again, Gary, please, please do that um, to, to send us a, uh, an email with uh, something I can read and, and then answer it. So that'd be good. Appreciate the love letter. Yes, that was nice. All right. Uh, this is from Bryant, who says, uh, in honor of the return of my uh, Michigan threat level, uh, this is a quick ask us anything. So Michigan's preseason pre strength of schedule is ranked an astounding 112 out of 130 teams. Pick the funniest team from the list below where in Michigan somehow is an easier schedule than said team. I'm going to read a couple of these. Uh, so Memphis. Uh, these are all teams, by the way, that Michigan, again, that Michigan has a worse schedule than. Uh, Memphis, uh, Kent State, Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Temple, Charlotte, Miami of Ohio, Ball State, 
uh utsa buffalo <laughs> yeah yeah that's right <laughs> by the way i'm like going in order i'm like going to harder schedules now coastal carolina <laughs> bowling green uh florida atlantic middle tennessee middle tennessee is 75th Jeez, poor guys um toledo east carolina appy App- appalachian state how about that um that wyoming seems that seems western michigan uh georgia state <laughs> wow uh hawaii and then of course tulane and troy and ohio state is actually ranked uh 39th which is a pretty pretty decent schedule yeah it, i gotta say out of all of those the one that uh made me laugh the most are teams that i don't always realize have a football team yeah. so like charlotte <laughs> having a a stronger rank schedule a stronger uh, strength of schedule than michigan does is is pretty hilarious to me i enjoy that quite a bit or buffalo that's good or texas state that's also funny so yeah excellent 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 uh excellent observation on there and i don't i mean that's one of the things where i when i write threat level right i'll get some feedback i guess i'll put that in quotation marks from <laughs> and typically it's like people who post the threat level on reddit i by the way i've never done that so if anybody sees threat level appear on reddit it is never a result of johnny genter posting <laughs> i have no desire to post on reddit you get and, such great feedback on reddit. oh my god and the people it. who and the people who commented on are, are by and large like michigan fans are really salty about it either i'm like being too mean or like not giving michigan their due or whatever but like that that alone i think should be enough to cow michigan fans a little bit to to understand that their their strength of schedule is so incredibly bad that it should temper some of the enthusiasm but that's not going to happen with them they're going to get super super pumped by this team you know they'll be eight and no or something like that and going the last part of the season they're going to consider themselves world beaters and they will have played basically nobody uh, and they have all these home games. And yes, Ohio State also has a lot of home games. That's fine. But they're also playing better teams. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know. The, the, the level of hype Michigan fans give themselves. Like we talk about, you know, I just talked about being a glass half empty kind of guy. And I think we're a glass half empty kind of fan base, you know, despite all the success. Michigan is the exact opposite. And, and that's why they must be basically kept under the heel of our boot because any small amount of success will just be blown up into them reliving the glory days. And we don't want that. It's just terrible. I don't like it. Amen to that. All right. Uh, next one here. This is from Kevin. Not counting CJ Stroud, who will be the offensive MVP? Who will be the defensive MVP? And what about on special teams? Yeah, I mean, I'm going. I'm going to go with with uh, Mayan Williams here, uh, just for the recency bias uh, aside. Just for the fact that we were talking about how much he surprised us, and I feel like he's a guy that's going to become a linchpin because you are going to have this wide receiver core that mm. is growing into themselves, and and there's not going to be uh unless jsn comes back and just you know everybody else kind of uh falls in around him there's not necessarily going to be one guy on that that receiving core that's going to be the guy it's going to be all of them making some contributions you know mecca buka is going to get his catches you're going to have julian fleming he comes back in the picture he's going to get his catches route man marv is going to get his catches so to me i I think it's going to be chop as the guy who is really going to be the, the 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 thing that pulls the room together to borrow a quote from the big Lebowski is the only thing that pulls it all together 
I think probably offensively is still going to be JSN. Um, when he comes back, I think he's still going to be a huge impact. And, and with Henderson and, and Chop splitting carries at running back, I think it's just going to be – it really will be a group effort, but I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is just so overly insanely talented that he's going to come back and hit the ground running and and, and be a really big deal. Uh, defensively, I mean, God, it's it's got to be Tommy Eikenberg, right? I mean, yes. if he keeps yes. us up. The guy, two sacks in one game against a pretty darn good team. Now, granted, a little banged up on offensive line, so they had their issues there, but still a good offensive line, and I, I'm pretty sure they're like all-star left, still played. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Tommy Eichenberg. I, I, it's such a weird thing to say, and, I, and otherwise I might have said Denzel Burke, but he looks legit. He looks really, really good. Yeah, I'm 100% on board with that. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. then Xavier Johnson on special teams just because of that one sequence where they he caught a touchdown and then like I'd never heard of this. I mean, I obviously I've heard of him, but right, like, right, right, did not right. expect I knew he existed. I knew he was on the team. <laughs> I didn't realize he would be doing all this stuff. And so he catches that touchdown and then immediately goes down and makes an insane play on special teams on the kickoff. I mean, what an incredible 30 seconds of work for that dude. That was unbelievable. The guy was fantastic. Uh high, that that catch, you know, and when and you're like, you know, it take it, it takes you back in a way to uh the the championship season and three different quarterbacks. And it's like we don't have backups, we just have more starters. I think that was you're like, gosh, here you have this wide receiving core that loses two first rounders. Well, three if you think about it in another way. Uh, and then you have two two starters out with injuries here. And oh wait, here's this former walk-on coming in here and catching a touchdown. Yeah, it just you know. It's like, you got to hate that if you're a fan of a team oh, sure, right. other than Ohio state, right? Just my God, how do they do that? Well, it's just what they do. So yeah. I'm, I'm on board. All right. I got one for you here from, uh, I, I said, I was holding this one from Twitter. This is from Gigum Buckeyes who says, um, uh, a uh, question for the show. If you were to try out for the best damn band in the land, what instrument would you play? Of course, we know my answer, the sousaphone, that was, that, yeah, that was, uh, that was mine. But for you, Johnny Ginner, if you had tried out for the best damn band in the land, pretending in another alternate <laughs> universe that you were, uh, a, a trained musician ready uh -huh. for the challenge, what would have been your instrument of choice? Is kazoo considered a brass instrument? It is Can not be... alas, more is the pity, nor, nor is the penny whistle. Oh, it's BS. Why, why not? Why, what? Why not? What about the mouth harp? That's I'm pretty mean, sure they don't march the penny whistle at Ohio State. All right. Well, if I have to pick an actual instrument that people use, um, I don't know. Trumpet's pretty cool. Yeah, it's got to say, yeah, go. your standard trumpet. <laughs> I know, maybe not a sexy choice, but uh, I got to say, it's it's just it's it's got a beautiful sound. Everybody likes it. I got to go with trumpet. I'm going to throw my hat in a trumpet. How about that? Yes, and and of course, I I won't be that that guy yeah you could yes the b flat trumpet uh would be you could also be one of the e flat cornets uh mm. i i have to tell you um this is just as an aside as a as a longtime fan uh there was one of the albums so back in the day you could actually buy cds of ohio state university marching band music and i i don't know i must have had six or eight of them over the years and there was this there was this track on one of the albums i bought somewhere in the late 90s early 2000s that discussed the instrumentation of the band and i don't know if, if people are not really into um brass bands or into military bands or whatnot they might not understand that ohio state's 
instrumentation is is rather unique. Uh, number mm-hmm. one, the largest all brass band in the world. Um, and so, of course, the fact that it's all brass and that, you know, means necessarily that you're doing things that the woodwinds a lot of times will do in instrumentation with all these these brass instruments. Um, and so this particular track goes through using the fight song, one of the fight songs, um, the instrumentation of the band and starts with, okay, here's what the E flat cornet does. And there are a dozen E flat cornets in the band. And they're here are what the trumpets do and the flugelhorns and the trombones and the, the baritones and the sousaphones. And then it goes through the drums as well. And then when you put it all together, and so it's a really cool track because it starts just layering like, okay, here's, you know, these cornets and you're getting do, 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 do. and so then it's just layering in all these instruments. And then when the drums finally come in for the chorus, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever. I, I'll have to look up and see what album that was and put it in the notes. Cause that track really is very cool because you hear the song come together piece by piece from the different sections in the band. So I I, I think trumpet, absolutely for you, my friend Johnny. Great answer to the question. And thanks to my good friend at Gigum Buckeyes for submitting that one um you got any more in your mailbag i've got one more in mine if uh, i'll go for it that's that's all i got so we got one right. we yeah we got one more this is a good one too this is actually so you know you you had a a long-running series with one of our loyal listeners earlier in the in the off season um this is was from at cal poppy cal poppy is one of our our loyal mods uh, and a great American here. This is a three-part question. One, okay. um, have have you either read or seen the movie The Da Vinci Code? Part one of the question. No, I have I seen have The not. Da Vinci Code. You have not seen The Da Vinci Code? No, or read the book. This is challenging then because the rest of this is sort of predicated. All right, well, I'll try to help you through <laughs> this. This is sort of predicated. I know, I know a decent amount about Dan Brown, though. Okay, oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, part two is if you, and so I, I guess the answer to this is going to be no by default, but do you know a character in the book and movie named Silas? Uh, no. Silas was a masochist who self-flagellates to atone for his sins. Cause of course in the book and the movie, there's sort of a, they're searching for the Holy grail in essence, the, right. the Tom, the Tom Hanks character is searching for the Holy grail. Um, and, and so he's okay. Uh, it's, it's very odd. I'm just going to read here from the question. It's odd imagining someone self-flagellating and you wonder why they would do something so self-harming. Um, mm-hmm. you know, take some dedication, must be some serious self-loathing to treat yourself this way. And, and he says, it's pretty weird if you ask me. Um, and then he kind of has an aside here. He was listening to the dubcast a couple of weeks back and the discussion about our shaving preferences, but he had it on the, <laughs> in the car as he drove around the high deserts of Utah and Nevada on vacation. And Mrs. Cal Poppy, uh, really enjoyed the podcast, but he said, <laughs> we did almost drive off the road when Johnny started talking about dry shaving but I was able to maintain my composure and keep the truck on the pavement. And we had a great vacation. <laughs> the third part of the question, he says, anyway, after my thoughts diverted to Johnny and dry shaving, I don't actually remember where I was going with this line of questions about Silas and self-flagellation. So I'll just forget <laughs> that part. Go bucks. Thanks for the weekly uh, uh, enjoyment of the dubcast. Thanks. Cal that's Poppy. hilarious. Cal Thank, Poppy. You. Thank you for that. <laughs> he texted me that I was sitting at waffle house earlier today. That's with my daughter. Really funny. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the hell out of that. That's really good. Uh, that's going to do um, it for ask us anything. A great way to finish the segment. You know what? It's not that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's really not. And you know what? And you know what? Here's the thing. So like, I was thinking about it. Cause I'm like, man, people probably, judging old johnny for the, for the dry saving thing i was like you know what i'm gonna try it legit i'm gonna try it legit i'm gonna do it you know do it and then i immediately got like a zit 
And then I was like, well, never again. Back to dry shaving. The only thing that works. I, I have to laugh because I mean, we've gotten so much feedback about that because I had um, so uh, a fair number of our of our friends in the mod squad are are retired um, uh, from our bra- various branches of our armed service, quite a few Navy and and one of uh, one of our friends who's retired from the Naval service messaged. And he's like, you know, that was one of those things that guys used to get as punishment if they showed up for formation. <laughs> Yeah. And they hadn't shaved or weren't weren't properly shaved. They had to dry shave. And it was you know what? Some people, how about this? I'm gonna try to turn this into a positive about me as opposed to a really weird thing. Some people talk about how they have like a really high pain tolerance. I yeah. think I actually have a really high pain tolerance. It sounds like and it, you know but... what? Because so I broke my collarbone a few years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And, okay, right. So I'm I'm laying there on the ground and I'm like, wow, this sucks. And I like I couldn't move without thinking that my bone would pop out of my like actual skin because it was broken in two spots and it was in three pieces in my shoulder and that was not great nope but but i got on you know like the ambulance came i got on the stretcher and they're like you know are you sure it's broken i'm like yeah i'm I'm pretty sure because like i could feel the individual pieces of the bone moving around in my in my collar area and uh well like do you want anything i'm like no i'm fine and then when i got to the hospital they're like do you want like, do you want some, uh, I don't know. What do they give you? What are the opioid? I don't know. It, it was some kind of thing. I'm like, no, I'm good. And then they gave me some like ibuprofen and that was it. And that's the only thing I took for that. And and I'm really proud of myself that I didn't, you know, get the sauce or anything like that because I felt okay. It didn't, it didn't feel good. I was, up, I was like, wow, this is bad. But I took a selfie and posted on Instagram and I was doing all right. And until I had to stand up and then like, um, you know, how the blood rush, like I'd been, you know, prone, I had been horizontal for like several hours at that point. Yeah. And then I had to stand up and I almost fell on my wife, actually, as she was trying to help me around. And I was like, Oh, you might need it. You might. Uh. And I, I like had to do some deep breaths and I was able to maintain consciousness. Um, but I don't know. Long story short, maybe, maybe it's you guys who are crazy. <laughs> for not for not just shaving without the aid of of water or shaving cream maybe you're the crazy one i'm cutting it oh, yeah yeah it's funny that's really good cow poppy I and, and to that. your credit i have to say you know like you always look fantastic very you know clean Thanks. cut you don't well walk when in, i go like, into public, bloody face I mean, and you know like we're well, not walking around you have, you have fine complexion no, i cut that. myself so less doing that that's, that's what whole... i say so it must work for you. whatever it is you're doing no that's the thing when i use like shaving cream and all that other stuff because i did i did all the normal stuff that people do mm-hmm. i would cut myself constantly i don't know why but now when i do it like this i never cut myself i don't get ingrown hairs i don't get zit i don't know it just works so yeah i don't know amazing like i said everybody else needs to do (laughs) i hope this this has inspired other people to try it and it's just awful for them i I just hope they try it (laughs) and they wake up and they're like that's terrible why would anybody do that this guy's an idiot and remind us a reminder that you can follow us on twitter at 11 tubcast if you do try this experiment and want to leave your comments that's the place for the comments uh, for sure all right let's get this horse back in the barn a couple of basketball related notes a pair of names associated with the program will be associated with the program no longer. The first being Seth Towns, who is stepping away from Ohio State following his continued strains of medical setbacks. He announced on Twitter, uh, and as you would expect, a really, really, really well-written um, goodbye letter to the program that he's stepping away and won't be playing college basketball this season after some tough conversations with the coaches and medical personnel. 
I don't, I don't know that this is a huge shock given that he missed the entirety of last season due to a lingering back energy, injury and hadn't yet received any uh, medical clearance to return for Ohio State at the start of September. So uh, you hate to see a guy's career end this way, but I think this has felt like something that was was going to happen for a while just by the dint of he's had some really tough go. He's had a really tough go of it with injuries. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it, I'm sad to see, you know, his his injuries kind of hamper his his playing ability and things like that over the past couple of years. But I also think that, you know, the kind of person he is, he's, he's a quality guy, yes. really, really intelligent. Whatever he ends up doing after basketball, he's going to be successful. In. Um, and I'm interested to see what he does end up doing because just a quality human being and, um, you know, really represented Ohio State really well while he was here. So opens up a scholarship spot, which is interesting in terms of timing. I don't know what Ohio State can do with that for the 22 23 season. Right. Uh, but it certainly is a storyline that will bear watching, as is the decommitment Monday of four star guard George Washington III. It was a member of the 2023 class who, uh, in a Twitter post, said, I uh, wanted to thank Coach Holtman and the coaching staff, but after uh, much thought, prayer, and discussion with family, be decommitting from Ohio State and reopening his recruitment. Of course, lots of uh, you know speculation out there as to what that might mean in terms of other folks Ohio State could be pursuing, maybe the most high-profile of which was in Ohio Stadium for uh, the weekend season opener with Notre Dame, Bronny James. All right, Johnny, pull out the crystal ball. Is Bronny James, the son of LeBron James himself, the number 141 overall prospect in the class of 23, coming to Ohio State? And and uh, if so, <laughs> is this a good thing for the Buckeyes? Well, it'd be definitely a good thing. I mean, the amount of attention and money and other things that would that would you know, go to the program, um, would definitely be helpful and awesome. But I got to say though, like I, a part of me feels like it's almost too good to be true. Like, and I know some people don't care about LeBron or whatever. Well, you should, because he's uh, the amount of attention and, and money and, and, you know, all, all these other things that he can bring to a program, especially in terms of recruiting, uh, would be huge, but I almost feel like they're given a little bit of love to Ohio state. Um, and again, I have no, I have no insider information whatsoever. This is just my read on it, but it almost feels like they're giving a lot of insider information to Ohio state, um, as part of like, okay, we may not be coming here, but we still want to help you guys out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel genuine with Ohio state, but it does feel like they at least want to help Holtman out, get some attention to the program, you know, that kind of stuff. So they're playing the game. They're being nice. I almost feel like though, Bronny's going to end up in a place like, duke or usc you know what i mean like a a more of a blue blood kind of school um so i i hope i'm wrong i would love to see i would love to see you know the jameses at ohio state and and you know bringing money and all that kind of stuff that way but uh, i i just don't see it yeah it's uh i'm i want to believe but i just you know I think I'm, I think I'm in the same, in the same boat. If it happens, that'll be really interesting. I'm not holding my breath. I think I'm almost more interested in uh, the smoke around six foot four combo guard Tayson Chapman, the 31st ranked recruit in the country, because it feels like there might be some smoke there that uh, Mm -hmm. Chapman could be a guy. And and I think maybe the um, decommitment of, of Washington here maybe indicates that he thinks one of those guys is coming to Ohio state. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks. 
Back to football as we finish up this episode of the Dubcast. Ohio State opening as a 44-point favorite over Yeesh. Arkansas State. You know, after a big hype primetime battle between perennial playoff contenders, this feels more like one. <laughs> yeah, there you big go. That's, that's your early season. All, all, that's right. The, the out-of-conference schedule is supposed to look like a September Sunbelt school at high noon in the shoe. What 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 kind of letdown is this going to be? Are you expecting Ohio State to come out and play like Georgia did against Oregon and and just whoop up on Butch Jones' latest Champions of Life, uh, or or will there be some sort of letdown hangover, if you will, uh, from a big primetime battle? That's interesting. I mean, I think there could be. I, I think there is definitely a possibility that. Um, you know, they're, they're just kind of like not mentally in the space to, to come back and, and kick butt immediately. But on the other hand, um, there's also a lot of guys who I think have the opportunity to continue maybe sticking a claim as like a national name. I mean, you look at a guy like Mike Hall, for example, you come out or Tommy Eichenberg, whoever you come out, especially defensively, and you keep playing like you would play it against Notre Dame. And you, you come with the more sacks. I mean, all of a sudden you're getting like looked at by scouts. You're getting looked at on watch lists, all that kind of stuff. So I think there's definitely an opportunity for some of these guys, these younger guys or these unheralded guys to really start to make a name for themselves. Now that they've already kind of established, you know, a little bit through this Notre Dame game, you can build on that. So for them, I think there's probably a lot of motivation to maybe get more recognized, more noticed. Uh, more publicity and uh, it starts by beating the crap out of a really overmatched team so that should be fun yeah butch jones of course uh has been all over hell and gone in the the coaching ranks so it was nick saban's special assistant during alabama's national championship run uh has been a head coach as i mentioned at uh at tennessee uh but was at cincinnati and central michigan as well this is a this is a, a fascinating opponent in that they're coming off their worst season in 21 years, but they also just had a huge blowout win over Grambling 58 to three. So those kids are feeling their oats. Uh, mm -hmm. Hey guys, it is what it is. It's a nooner uh, in September. Uh, yeah, enjoy the day. It's going to be a beautiful day, and hopefully one that uh, we'll see lots of uh, Ohio State players pad their stats. We'll talk about it this time next week. Until then. I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.